Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Many people may not remember it, but uh, the YMCA has been an integral part of African-American history since the enslavement period and has assisted in producing critical leadership in the struggle for freedom, justice, and equality. Organized internationally in 1844, with a white-only membership and mission, the first African-American YMCA was organized as a branch of the Canadian YMCA by Anthony Bowen, who was formerly enslaved, and this was in Washington, DC. And because of this, the model used by the YMCA, Mr. Bowen felt that this was a uh, ideal leadership education model that could be followed for African-American men. As early as 1891, the International YMCA hired an African-American as its International Secretary for Colored Works to assist in the organizing of branches of the organization in African-American communities. By this time, Local segregated branches had already been organized in Norfolk, Virginia, Atlanta, uh, Georgia, Washington, DC, and other uh, urban communities. By 1896, there were more than 60 active African-American-led YMCA branches around the country. And these developed separately and were the most populous independent institutions within African-American communities other than the Black church. As the YMCA movement expanded, it provided an independent platform to educate and train African-Americans to better utilize and expand their political, social, and business skills, which were necessary to advance and defend the race. During these early days, the organization's branches functioned independently, which allowed for the building of separate African-American and white structures and leadership. Early African-American leaders regularly advocated for the end of the segregated YMCA structure, but utilized the program format to enhance its value to uplift the communities in which they were located. This separate but equal format officially ended in 1967 when racial discriminatory practices were banned. Because of its prominence and effectiveness in organizing and mobilizing African-American leaders in larger cities, Julius Rosenwald of the former Sears and Roebuck Company provided significant financial support for the building of YMCA structures in the very same way that he was also using his wealth to assist in the creation of African-American schools. As a result of this support, 
26 structures were built in 25 different cities around the country. Throughout American history, the YMCA has provided support and inspiration for the development of many African-American civil rights, political, educational, and business leaders. But its role in those efforts has not received the deserved accolades and recognition. Over the years, the forceful advocacy of African-American staff leadership within the YMCA pushed the organization from its segregationist past to become a positive force in the promotion of racial equality and equity with various institutions around the country. In 1985, the YMCA National Assembly, in conjunction with Springfield College, created its Hall of Fame, which is dedicated to honoring its former staff leaders who made significant contributions to the growth and development of the YMCA and its philosophy. Since its inception, 149 individuals have been inducted into its Hall of Fame. Of those who have been honored, 16 have been African-American men and women who vigorously and courageously fought against its segregation history. During our conversation tonight, we are going to discuss the recent history of the YMCA, its impact, and the 2023 Hall of Fame inductions. Our guest is Norman Joyner a native of LaGrange, North Carolina, a Hall of Fame athlete at Shaw University, and a former YMCA local and national staffer who will become the next inductee of the National YMCA Hall of Fame. So first of all, uh, Brother Norm, thank you for joining us and congratulations on your uh, induction into the uh, National YMCA Hall of Fame. Well, thank you, my brother, my sister, and uh, I'm truly excited about that honor. And that uh, secondly, I really appreciate uh, the both of you of having me on uh, this show uh, today and that uh, I hope I bring some value, you know, to the listening ears in terms of what I might be able to convey. But thank you. Okay, well, uh, we, 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 we share that uh, with you, but just out of a sense of uh, full disclosure, I just want to uh, note that, uh, that Norm is uh, my brother. Uh, relationally, we are cousins, but in reality, we are brothers and I am so proud of him and the, um, the honor that he is uh, now achieving with the National YMCA. But starting us out, uh, Norm, can you can you just talk about what is the meaning of this induction into the uh, National YMCA Hall of Fame, and and how do you feel about this uh, this honor? Well, first of all, Irv, I really appreciate your intro and and also sharing you know from your perspective the research that you have done about uh, the YMCA movement in terms of its history you know, up until the 1960s. Um, as you know, I began my career in 1967, and that was the probably the turn when African-Americans 
uh, began to have some input and involvement and engagement with the YMCA, both locally and nationally. In terms of the Hall of Fame, uh, one of the things that I have noticed and have some concerns about, even though it started in 1985 and you identify there's 145 that have been inducted up to this point, and of that 149, 16 are African-American. Um, and that on this past induction, the induction of 2023, there are two more that will be added. Carolyn Crager, who was on the national staff, and myself uh, inducted in the 2023 induction. So one of the questions I have I know a lot and been engaged and have gotten support, have used, has been mentors of myself that should be in the Hall of Fame. And they are not in the Hall of Fame. And that kind of bothers me a little bit. But on the other hand, you know, I have to, to give credit and thanks to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be in this number, to be able to represent folks that have not gotten the opportunity to be inducted and also to represent who I am, Norman E. Joyner, African-American, born and raised in LaGrange, North Carolina, Shell University grad, to say that at least I will be able to say to those that come after me, there is an opportunity to do this work that I have done for the last 56 years uh, within the YMCA. So, you know, there is some sadness that others have not been inducted into the Hall of Fame that are folks of color. But at the same time, I have to be very thankful and grateful that I'm one of those that's being inducted in 2023. Well, you know, for the, for the old timers, uh, they, they, they can vividly remember uh, those days when the uh, YMCA was really the heart of uh, African-American uh, communities. It was not necessarily the uh, case in uh, kind of rural Southern uh, communities, but clearly in the urban areas, uh, Butler YMCA in uh, Atlanta, and obviously in Winston-Salem and uh, a number of other cities uh, around the place, uh, the YMCA was uh, a haven. Uh, in, in Atlanta, the Butler YMCA was called what the uh, Black City Hall uh, yes. going up uh, through the days because of uh, the uh, training of uh, the uh, leadership uh, that came out of the uh, Atlanta uh, community. Uh, obviously, Martin Luther King and, and others were a part of the uh, YMCA uh, there. In, in recent years, we've seen a, a, a kind of decline in the presence of uh, African-American-led YMCAs around the country. But, you know, you're from LaGrange, and clearly they did not have a YMCA uh, there. So can you kind of talk about uh, how it was that you you got involved in the, uh, in the YMCA movement? Let me take a sidestep, because I don't want to leave the point that you just made a few minutes ago that you know the uh, Rosenwald story in terms of the YMCA's that that he supported, and at the same time, in the terms of in the 1960s, when there were 60 some YMCA's that was called 
African-American YMCAs and communities all over this nation, especially in the South. The sadness about that for me, it is truly grabs at my heart sometimes that now there are only 12 of those YMCAs that are in existence, only 12. And probably, you know, during the show uh, today, I will probably talk a little bit about why I think there are only 12 left. And you did identify one of those being the Butler Street YMCA, which was one of the most historic YMCAs in our movement serving African-Americans and African-Americans communities. But it is saddened to know that today, there are only 12 YMCAs in all of the United States that are independently in African-American communities that's been certified by the YMCA of the USA. So I just wanna go back to that just to give some context in terms of where we are with African-American YMCAs and, African, and serving in African-American, predominantly African-American communities. Now to your point, uh, it's God that's led my steps. I mean, I, I don't have any reservation in saying that, you know, little boy out of LaGrange, North Carolina goes to Shaw University and graduates from Shaw in 1967 and gets a call. Uh, the athletic director at Shaw University at that time, William Spann, said to me, there's a job open in Montclair, New Jersey. Think about this, Montclair, New Jersey. From the Grange to Raleigh, Shaw University, I get a call to go interview for a job in Montclair. First time on an airplane, they flew me up. First time I ever set foot in a YMCA, in a YMCA facility. Really didn't know what YMCA meant, you know, Young Men's Christian Association. And here I am going to Montclair, New Jersey to interview for, at that time, the third position on the health and PE staff. So that's my beginning. And that uh, I can credit a lot of folks, African-American mentors, the Montclair YMCA to give me that opportunity because I progressed very quickly uh, to the number one PE position. By the fourth year there on the staff, I had made up my mind that you know, this African-American from LaGrange, North Carolina, didn't want to teach my brother and decided to stay in the YMCA and uh, became the head health and PE director for the Montclair Y. That was my humble beginning, but I will tell you is the Lord that was guiding my steps to that point. Just a sidebar to that, and Irv, you know this, and uh, there was the point after my first year, I had a tryout in the NBA. And I thought I was going in a whole different direction. <laughs> As you can't believe, this is 1968. But that didn't work out. And so from that, you know, my journey began, you know, um, and here I am 56 years later, still engaged and involved with the YMCA. That was my beginning here. So, um, Norm, you mentioned uh, PE position. So, can you expand upon what your job duties were and how you um, rose to the challenge and how you dealt with being outside of North Carolina in New Jersey? Well, I think there's two points. One, that uh, I was fortunate enough to spend many of my summers back in the 
late 50s and all of the 60s in New York City, particularly in Brooklyn, where by the time I was in high school and definitely when I was in college, I was beginning to work in summer camps. So I was not overwhelmed or intimidated, you know, by being in that environment. I have been tested already. So April, the fact that uh, when I went to interview and, you know, I was very confident in who I was and what I bring to the table. And this is 1967. This is not 19. This is not 2023. 20, and that, you know, you have to be kind of careful because I'm going to add another point in a few minutes. And that uh, even though I was the third PE director, I basically was in, responsible for providing uh, programs for third and fourth graders, fifth and sixth graders, health and PE programs. And I was involved in instituting their intramural program for adults. Those were the two main areas that I was engaged in. Another sidebar, and I think this is very significant. I interviewed on the 28th of July. Think about that, that's next week, 1967. If you know your history, a week later, the Newark riots began. <laughs> so I just wanna just bring that up as a sidebar because you know, I don't want people to forget a lot of things happened during that time. And that uh, when I got back to my hometown, uh, back to Raleigh at that time, that next week was when I got the offer for the job. So that play could have played you know, some part in bringing an African-American on their staff for the very first time, for the very first time. Again, Montclair, New Jersey, <laughs> think about it. And so uh, those were my main tasks. I will give credit to the Montclair YMCA staff and volunteers. They did an outstanding job of training and bringing me on and having me understand what the mission of the YMCA was early on. And so I do give them due credit, but at the same time, I was prepared when I left Shaw University. You're listening to the uh, Legal Eagle uh, Review on uh, WNCU 90.7 FM. Our guest uh, this evening is uh, Norman Joyner, who is uh, a recent inductee uh, into the uh, National YMCA Hall of Fame. And we're talking about the impact of the uh, YMCA uh, history on uh, racial justice and, uh, and equality and uh, the role that it has played in developing leadership in African-American communities. Uh, we're gonna take our break uh, right now. I want you to uh, stay with us and we'll be right back. Hello, this is Kiana Woods and I'm a third year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law. And this is your community spotlight. The Contemporary Art Museum in downtown Raleigh will be hosting a Sunday market every Sunday in August from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. The event will feature vendors specializing in delicious foods, captivating art, stylish clothing, and much more. The Contemporary Art Museum is located on 402 West Martin Street, Raleigh, North Carolina. 
This is Kiana Woods with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us uh, this evening as we continue our conversation with uh, Norman Joyner, who is a recent inductee into the National YMCA Hall of Fame. And uh, when we, we took our break, Norman was talking about the uh, 1967 riots uh, in, uh, in Newark uh, and that he had been interviewed in Montclair, which is about a minute away from uh, Newark uh, and uh, its possible impact on the uh, decision to hire him uh, at that time and at that uh, place. And, and, and I think it's important uh, for you to know that Montclair was an upscale, uh, pretty much white community uh, during, uh, during those days. And uh, Norm came in as the first African-American uh, to be hired at that uh, particular uh, location, unlike uh, many of the other YMCA's that were located in and uh, in African American communities and dedicated uh, to uh, work and uh, uh, and activities within those communities. So my question, though, Norm, starting out is, can you kind of discuss the uh, racial environment uh, that uh, that uh, you entered into uh, by uh, joining the uh, Montclair uh, YMCA in a time? that there were still the uh, separate African-American YMCAs and then a uh, larger groups of uh, white uh, YMCAs to which typically uh, carried uh, much more financial clout and political uh, impact uh, than did uh, those in the uh, African-American community. Yeah, let me just uh, also share with you that uh, the Montclair YMCA also had a branch in the African-American community. And at that branch, some of you might know, at least your listeners might know, there was a young man that has since passed away named Everett Christmas, who was once the director of the East Orange YMCA in New Jersey, spent many years in Raleigh, and is also in the National YMCA Hall of Fame. But he is, he was at the Washington Street branch of the Montclair YMCA. So when I came along to be the first African-American at 25 Park Street, the main branch, he was a huge support of me, which made my entry into the YMCA just a little bit easier. At the same time, whether you're in Raleigh, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, LaGrange, North Carolina, or Montclair, New Jersey, you're gonna have some of these racial conversations or observation about, are you welcome? And the fact is that, again, I come back to my time spent in New York City. I was never intimidated, but at the same time, you could feel some tension about having 
the African-American or the first African-American on the staff. I think what helped is that I came in from North Carolina. I wasn't someone that was local. This is my thinking on this. And at the same time, feeling good about what I brought to the table. But I didn't feel any intimidation or threats during my time at Montclair. I mean, there was tension. You felt it just because of my upbringing and, and being raised in the Grange, North Carolina and in the state of North Carolina. But I didn't feel stressed. I guess that's the best way I can put it, Irv. And that a lot of that has to do with, with every Christmas. A lot of it had to do with the senior staff at the Montclair YMCA and other leaders, because I was truly welcomed by the African-American community to have to be the first African-American, you know, in Montclair, New Jersey, in this upscale community, 1967. Well, you know, uh, Everett, Chris, Christmas was inducted into the uh, National YMCA uh, Hall of Fame in 2006. Yep. And leading up to uh, that time, he was very active at the uh, national level in right. uh, helping to organize and mobilize uh, staff, African-American uh, staff and people of color uh, staff to push the national why uh, toward a, uh, uh, a, uh, a policy of acceptance and support of uh, African-American communities and goals and, uh, and aspirations. So can you kind of talk about the uh, formation of that national clique of uh, African-American leaders that uh, began to push the YMCA in a uh, different uh, direction? Even though we had uh, the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, there was still resistance in the YMCA uh, to a uh, inclusive uh, environment where African-Americans could freely feel that they were welcome within that structure? Well, let me just, uh, another sidebar, and I know you got your notes there, Irv. Uh, again, I began with the Y in 1967. It took to 2015 to get our first African-American CEO for the YMCA of the USA, which is Kevin Washington. And Kevin has since retired after six years. He retired in 2021. But just think about that. We go from 1967 when I started to 2015 that we had our first African-American CEO of the YMCA of the USA. That doesn't mean that we did not have many African-Americans that were in senior positions within the YMCA, both locally, uh, whether they are in smaller or large associations, or they was at the national organization that was not qualified. So it took us a while. It took the movement a while to hire and be supportive of an African-American in that position. That's a little troubling. And so as of today, we have a first woman that is now the national president CEO of the YMCA, Suzanne McCormick, who came to that position a little bit over a year ago after Kevin Washington retired. But there are many individuals, and I mean, the list is too long 
to identify them all, but I can name three or four off the top of my head that has had an impact on my career and my journey through the YMCA that could have held that position way before 2015. So if that answers your question or without getting in too much depth, yes, it took a while, you know, for the movement to be able to hire a leader of the YMCA of the USA. Now that doesn't mean that there weren't others that was on the national staff, because I was on the national staff beginning in 1994 as a national field consultant. And way before then, there was started African-Americans on the national staff, but that did not arise to be the number one person in that state. Norm, one of the themes throughout um, what you have been sharing with us is the importance of mentorship. So you've used that word um, quite often uh, as you kind of describe the support that you received when you joined the YMCA. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of mentorship in, in your life and how the structure of the YMCA facilitates that mentorship, which can lead to leaders being developed and grown? Well, first of all, the YMCA has what I consider one of the strongest uh, leadership programs in terms of training of leaders at every level, where it is at a programmatic level or a program position, or where it's at an executive level, or where it's an executive of a small branch, or where this is executive of a independent association or a metro association. They have a very good program that trains and that prepares folks for those positions. There is no doubt in my mind, I have been through all of those programs and that was uh, encouraged and recommended. And that can be said for many African-Americans within, uh, within the YMCA structure. But able to go just one step further, over the years, there have been many, many African-Americans that have been mentors to many of us, many of us, and not just me, you know, and that, uh, that we can credit and say that you know, we stand on their shoulders, you know, that we have progressed to where we are and that we did not get to where we are just because of who we are. It's because of someone else that was, came along before us, did all of that grunt work and was willing to be supported. The other side, don't get me wrong, it's not just African-Americans, but there's an appreciation that there are folks in this movement that look like me, maybe talk like me, that think like me every once in a while, that's going to be able to say, hey, no, I'm joining you. Listen, you are the person for this. And I will say this, I only applied for one job, one. That was the very first one from Mark Clay, New Jersey. Someone else, <laughs> you know, put my name in or said to someone else, you need to take a look at this guy. You need to go and talk to him. Look at the work that he's done. Let your work speak for your action of what you want to do. So, April, I'm just saying that, um, you know, I mentor a lot of folks in this, in this journey. I have mentioned, mentored a lot of folks because a lot of folks have mentored me. And I gave a speech not too long ago to say to new YMCA folks, hey, listen, I don't care what level that you are in this journey or in your journey, you've got to have some mentors. You can be the CEO of the largest YMCA in the country. 
You can be the branch executive or the smallest wire at a metro wire. You better find yourself some mentors because they can get you and help you to progress in this thing that we call the YMCA, if that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And uh, that was, you actually kind of, yeah, flowed right into my next question, which is, um, I, I know you, we are our family as well. And I know um, that you are one to pay it forward and that you have done a lot of mentorship of um, young folk and not so young folk. Can you talk about the importance of being a mentor and helping to develop leadership in others? Well, I mean, you just opened that, that can. Um, I had mentored before I even got to the Y. <laughs> you know, before I even got into the Y. Herb Joyner had been my mentor from the time I was so small, I didn't know what was going on, you know? So he knows that, you know, that's like you said, he's my brother, but my father, you know, my mom, my grandparents, my coaches, all through my early part of my life, taught me that you gotta give back. Whatever you do, you gotta give it back, you know? And so, and folks have come to me and asked to be mentored. They don't just ask to be mentors, they come, but you know they're looking for counsel, they're looking for support, they're looking for folks that have had the experience of going through this journey that I've gone through over the years. So I'm open, very open. When someone calls me, they will tell you, I don't mind talking. If someone said, come see me, I don't mind coming and seeing you. I drive all the time, you know, because I think it's important for African-Americans in the YMCA movement, that's what I'll talk about, you know, that they search and they look for mentors that can help them get to the next level. I'm just one, but I see it's part of my responsibility to give back, you know, in the why. It's my responsibility to give back where it's not in the why. I try to give back in other areas and other places, where it's at my church, where it's at my hometown, where it's at my university, where whatever. That's what the dear Lord wants me to do because he's not keeping me around here to do nothing. <laughs> I can tell you that at least from my viewpoint. So I'm just excited about when folks ask me to be mentors and when folks come to me and they don't say you're a mentor, they come to you and they ask questions and they get your opinion and your feedback. So I just love doing that. That's just part of me. Well, Norm, you know, as a part of your journey, you, you've been like a, a gypsy uh, rolling around from, uh, from place to place. You started out in uh, East Orange, but from there you were in Pittsburgh, then you were out in uh, in uh, in California, and then you ended up back at the uh, Winston uh, Lakes uh, YMCA uh, before uh, joining on the uh, the national staff uh, there in, uh, in in Atlanta. Can you talk about the the changing racial climate as you moved from location to location and in different uh, positions of authority? Uh, within the uh, within the YMCA and how that uh, kind of materialized or produced uh, the uh, position that you're in uh, today. I don't want to be presumptuous about uh, just putting signs on the side. You don't see things. I see things all the time. There is no doubt about my mind when I left Montclair, New Jersey, and went to Pittsburgh and became the head PE director for the downtown YMCA, 
dealing with businessmen, that was a different kind of experience. But I think each one of these stops gave me more confidence and I could block out a lot of those negatives. And that when you can do that, it gives me an opportunity to do the work that's being asked of me to do. Pittsburgh was definitely a challenge, but it was probably one of my most successful stops along the way. Um, because I was a downtown health enhancement director, downtown Pittsburgh, called the Businessman Club. And that um, in April, I know you're going to get to this question later, but um, when I went to be the health enhancement director in a downtown Y, it was only men. Only men. I was part of that transition because of my experience and my background in health and fitness that we opened up the downtown wider women during the time that I was in Pittsburgh. Just think about this. This is 19, I went to Pittsburgh in 1974, 1974. And the Pittsburgh wide, downtown wide was not offering programs and services to women. So that was a challenge. That was an opportunity and a challenge. But as I went on from Pittsburgh to Los Angeles, the more confident, the more credibility, and the less that I felt like I was being pushed or threatened, I put walls around that and kept on moving and kept on moving. So Irv, if that answers your question, you know, from Pittsburgh here to Los Angeles, from Los Angeles to Winston-Salem, my first exec job, and then to Atlanta, and then on the national staff, you just build that confidence in terms of who you are and what you can bring to the table, whichever place that you might have been in. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. Our guest this hour is Norman Joyner. He is a recent inductee into the National YMCA Hall of Fame. And we are talking with him about the impact and history of the organization on racial justice and equality and the role it has played in developing leaders in the African-American community. We're gonna have to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Kiana Woods, and I'm a third-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. Many drivers in North Carolina who have unpaid traffic fines and fees have their licenses suspended indefinitely. North Carolina Fair Chance partners with legal services, agencies, and DAs across North Carolina to help drivers remove minor charges and unpaid fines from their records. This helps drivers remove suspensions and restores their licenses. North Carolina Fair Chance is free to use and has self-help resources to get your driver's license restored. The service is provided at Blanchard Community Law Clinic located on 225 Hillsborough Street, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27603. Check out ncfairchance.org for more information. This is Kiana Woods with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. We're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. 
I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour with a recent inductee into the National YMCA Hall of Fame, Norman Joyner. Um, Norm, right before the break, you were talking about your experience um, when you were in Pittsburgh. And one of the things that you mentioned was um, when you got there, there wasn't a lot of programming, particularly health and fitness programming that was offered to women. Um, this was in 1974. Another thing that you shared with us is that the first woman CEO of the National YMCA is a woman, Susan Suzanne McCormick. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I remember, of course, hearing about the YMCA and going to the facilities and also about the YWCA. Uh, can you talk about the um, relationship between the YMCA and the YWCA and, and talk to us a little bit more about the challenges um, that existed for women who may want to wanted to take advantage of the offerings of the YMCA or the YWCA? Yeah, let me just start out by saying that, you know, the, the mission of the YWCA and the YMCA, even though you have the W and you have the M in both of the names, acronyms of the names, the, the YWCA uh, primarily, their focus was on women's issues probably was more engaged in issues rather than in providing services of health and wellness or fitness, uh, more so in providing services for child care and so forth. So uh, the YMCA was more family oriented that dealt with where there was young children that need child care services, young children that needed health and wellness services, adult that was definitely engaged in uh, health and wellness, youth sports or adult sports. You know, those are some of the programs that the YMCA would be offering uh, under their mission, where the YWCA was a lot more focused on dealing with women's issues. So I'm trying to separate in terms of what the mission was between the two. Now, I grant you that even back in the day, uh, way before uh, I became a staff member, there were some YMCA's that was YMYWCA's that that uh, was in the same building. Uh, it was separate quarters, but they were called YW. I mean YMYWCA's. A lot of the reasons were because of support that they were able to get jointly. But there were very few of them. Over the course of the years, those YMs and YWCA's separated, and that the YWCA's became independently the YWCA's. Uh, thirdly to that, um, back in the late uh, 60s, uh, the YMCA's in a lot of places began to have more women involved as members of YMCA's. And I would say one of the main reasons, just think about this, is that there was more women now beginning to come into the workforce whether it be in corporate America, whether it be in education, or whether it be in other fields of endeavor. And what happened was that one, they got to be more interested in health and wellness. Number two, there was a huge need for childcare, especially school-aged childcare. 
granted we were doing summer camps and residence camps in the summer, but during the course of the school year, parents, uh, mothers, you know, need to have care for their children. The YMCA then became one of the largest, matter of fact, it was the largest not-for-profit child care provider in the United States beginning in the late 60s and even to today, even till today, we are the largest not-for-profit child care provider, larger than churches, larger than schools. And so that changed the whole dynamic in terms of who the YMCA was going to serve. And women were being more accessible and more of need for the services that the Y was providing, especially around child care and family program, if that answers your question. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, that you make that uh, note uh, about the uh, women uh, within the uh, YMCA movement. Uh, I see that uh, of the 16 African-Americans who uh, have been inducted into the uh, Hall of uh, Fame, uh, two have been uh, women. Uh, and in fact, in 1998, yes. uh, uh, Violet Henry, yes. who used to be at the uh, Newark uh, yes. YMCA. Uh, was uh, in, inducted into the uh, into the Hall of Fame. So, uh, and, and which is an interesting um, uh, history that I think that we ought to at some point kind of talk talk about. But I want to do a quick flip, though, Norm, and, and kind of talk about the uh, international involvement of the uh, of of the YMCA. And 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 people may not know, but the YMCA started internationally uh, in England. Yes. Uh, not in the uh, in the United States and the African American uh, uh, participation in the YMCA grew out of the Canada YMCA and not the United States uh, YMCA. But I know that there's been a, a huge uh, presence and participation of the uh, YMCA internationally, particularly in uh, in Africa, and uh, that you were. Uh, involved and engaged uh, robustly uh, in that. So can you just spend a couple of minutes just kind of talking about uh, that uh, involvement and uh, what it has meant uh, to you and to the uh, YMCA movement? Let me just start out by saying I was talking to someone, I having a conversation uh, last week, and I mentioned the, uh, y the YMCA of the USA's international involvement. And I shared with that person that there are YMCA's in 150 some countries around the world. Person looked at me and said, well, I thought there was only YMCA's in the United States. And that just tells you from, uh, from society, many folks don't even know that there are YMCA's in other countries. To answer your question, Irv, um, I've spent the last 30 years, 10 years on the national staff, uh, partly on the national staff and 20 years in retirement, you know, being uh, engaged and involved with YMCA's on the continent of Africa. Uh, 20 of those years uh, in South Africa. Uh, we are an international movement. You know, um, some of the services might be different, but it's about making a difference in the lives of young people and adults, more so young people in Africa, especially in South Africa. Uh, it's not about uh, health and fitness. It's about more wellness and family and more about youth. And it's intriguing to me 
that um, you leave this environment of focusing on wellness and fitness and focusing on childcare, and you go across the ocean to to Africa and and you're worrying about uh, they're worrying about you know how can I survive the next day or what can I do to improve and enhance my life for my children, and that's part of the dynamics that's gotten me engaged in. Uh, focusing on YMCAs and building partnerships and relationships between YMCAs in the States and YMCAs uh, in South Africa and on the African continent. I have done 20 trips to South Africa since 2003, 29 to the continent since uh, 1990. And I have taken, in April, you, you're sitting there smiling a little bit, I've been nerve too. Uh, over a thousand folks, you know, to the continent uh, over the last 30 years. And I'm so proud of two factors. One is that is what I've learned from being on the ground in terms of people providing services and make a difference in the lives of people there. And two, I'm so proud to be able to take folks where they are from smaller YMCAs, larger YMCAs, the diversity of the groups is just phenomenal, to give them a whole different view of what South Africa is, of what Africa is. It's not what you read, it's not what you hear. You gotta be on the ground to see what it's really like, you know, and I'm sure that both of you can understand that. But the same thing applies to the Y. They got this notion that, you know what the notion is in terms, I'm going to Africa, <laughs> yeah. I always tell them, you know, what you do on the States, keep it in the States. Because when you go to Africa, it would change your whole perception. So, you know, I, I, uh, it's been part of my, uh, my mission. It's been part of uh, what has made me who I am. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind, one of the reasons that I was inducted into the Hall of Fame is the last 20 some years that I've spent taking folks on behalf of the YMCA to build partnerships and relationships you know, in South Africa and on the Af African continent. That's a long answer to your two minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> and the amazing thing is, um, because you've been doing that for, for so long, and, and if I, I got this right, um, I believe Irv was able to join you on a trip and then he brought that energy and spirit to the law school. Yes. And so we've had many law students through the efforts of Irv and professors who have gone to South Africa, including myself and my children. So it's really amazing how um, something that you've been doing for, for almost 30 years has had a ripple effect far and beyond just, you know, kind of the YMCA. And I know that several of the students have mentioned to Irv and me that that was a life-changing experience for them. So you, you know, were able to uh, energize Irv. He brought that back here, energize the students, put in a lot of work. I, and you both know you have planned so many of these trips. It takes a lot of time and energy. And those of us that are beneficiaries of all your hard work, we don't fully appreciate how much time and energy it takes. But right. lives have been changed far beyond um, what what you probably even in realize, Norm. So thank you so much for um, uh, me being a beneficiary of what you've done in this space. Um, it, goes, it goes two ways, though. It goes two ways because I come back to the point I made earlier. When you take as many folks over, and if I've touched that many, those individuals, including yourself, touch my life. 
I mean, it, it gives me a, a, a fulfillment to know that you have shared that with someone else that really appreciates it. And it's a whole new learning experience, you know, so it, it, it goes two ways, April. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that you mentioned that I, I think is so important to kind of underscore that the issues that youth in South Africa and other countries within the continent, I'm sure experiencing um, are different, but many are the same. And so one of the things I know we wanted to get your thoughts on is the decline in, and you've mentioned this, right, the, the reduction of the numbers of YMCAs in African-American communities, um, the decline of Black youth being involved mm. in the YMCA, and some of the struggles that we see our young people having to deal with um, may be a little different than, than what it is that they were struggling with 10, 20, 30 years ago. Can you share your thoughts on why we have the decline and, and what we might be able to do as a community to better support and uplift our young people? Oh, that's, it's gonna take more time than what we have to, to deal with that one. But I, let me just say this, um, and these three points also troubles me a little bit. 10 years ago, or let me go eight years ago, there were 900 and some corporate YMCAs in the United States. When I say corporate YMCA, that mean uh, the YMCA of the Triangle in Raleigh, which now Durham is part of that, they have branches. But the corporate Y is a triangle Y. There were 900 and some eight years ago. We we're down to 700 and some today. And I mentioned earlier when Irv talked about how many YMCAs that were serving African-American communities. And now we're down to 12. And the other thing that's happening is that those corporate YMCA, this is what really gets me, is that uh, there are some close by <laughs> that some of those branches that are being closed are in African-American communities. That's troubling. And so, and that number of YMCAs that are being closed or whatever over the last 10 years, and most of, and some of them are in African American communities. That tells me then that folks that look like you and I probably had the same thought processes, having struggles and challenges in our community. And here we are as an organization at our best is providing services that meets the needs of young people and families. We're closing them. We're closing them. And so just right around, I could walk to a wire. We just closed the wire here, a branch, you know. And so this community needs to watch. So how can we let the, the bigger establishment, whether it's the local Atlanta Metro, whether it's the YMCA, the USA, how do we garner the resources, not just the financial resources, but the human resources and say, this community needs for you to stay in our community to provide those kinds of services, deal with childcare, deal with family programs, to deal with outreach programs, just think about it. Those of you that have been around a while used to think about and hear about the why doing outreach programs, dealing with gang prevention, dealing with social needs that's happening in our community. There are very few YMCAs that are doing outreach programs now. We so focus on, you know, the, the glamour of the wellness and fitness. But my point is, April, is that it, it does bother me and troubles me a little bit that we are eliminating YMCAs in our community. And I just don't think that is, um, that's good for moving forward. I wanna make one 
30 seconds spot. I know you got to go, but I will say this is that um, I have a wonderful family. My wife, Pat, our kids, 30 years, 56 years in this business. It wouldn't work without their support. Well, Norm, we want to congratulate you again for this recognition of being inducted into the National YMCA Hall of Fame um, and for all the work that you have done, uh, the, the folks that you have supported, and for taking time to share with us a little bit about, about your journey and your insight. Um, we greatly, greatly appreciate you. It's always wonderful having uh, family on the show. Thank you. We are unfortunately out of time, but we'd like to thank our guest, Norm Joyner. He has been with the YMCA for over 50 years. Um, of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us, and we hope you have enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleagoreview at nccu.edu. And if you missed this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.